How's it going, guys? I'm Zeke. And I'm Jake. And you're listening to Cinema Sideshow Podcast, episode 123. This might be the sexiest your voice has ever been, Zeke. Yes, I am a little sick, Jake. It's... uh, It has made my voice awfully raspy. Oh. Um, I also had to umpire before this, so I was shouting for the last oh, okay, two course. and a half hours. So, yes, my voice has gone to a nice NPR level. <laughs> <laughs> We're here waking up in the morning yeah. with Zeke. Yeah. No, I like that. It's kind of a therapeutic thing. You know? How are you doing, Jake? I'm doing well. I'm... No, it is really raspy. Yeah, I know. It's, it's kind of motivating me to be a little more like... This is ASMR, everyone. Good morning. Good morning to the show. I can't even laugh. <laughs> I'll laugh for the both of us. How's that? Um, yeah, no, I've been doing really well. It's been... Holy moly, it's been a week since we did Sing Street. It's been the longest it's, week of it, my life. It has been a very long week. <laughs> I had the week off from my prac, so... Oh, that was this past week? That was this week gone by. I'll be back yeah, to yeah, yeah. school tomorrow, but uh, it wasn't necessarily a week off. Mm. Uh, it's still been a very busy week, That's but good. I did manage to get quite a few films out of the way. So that very was, good. I like that out of the way. Well, forever in the bin, <laughs> used up, used to perfection. Yeah. Ooh, I just opened up Letterbox and I saw the f- most recent one you just put in. Yes. What did you think of the color of money? Okay, so I went on a bit of a Ooh. Scorsese tear this week. Yeah. Um, just conveniently, mostly on the weekend actually. So on Friday, I. Revisited the last waltz and and uh, just because I like that concert mostly, mm. but the documentary side it was a documentary I've talked about it on the show before and I also Saturday night decided uh, Saturday night to revisit Goodfellas with a friend of the show Morgan uh, Gillette and um, yeah we love that movie but mm. this is one that I hadn't seen from Scorsese before this is the 1986 film mm. The Color of Money. With very young Tom Cruise and a, yeah, I mean, pretty up there, uh, Paul Newman actually. Um, Paul Newman, everyone. And it, basically, <laughs> it's a um, probably the closest thing Scorsese's ever done to a sports movie, to be honest. Oh, sweet. Um, and it's based around the game of pool, in particular nine ball, which is not a standard game of pool that we you'd play in a bar nowadays. It's a bit more fast. Um, personally, I'd never. I had to Google the rules about halfway through because. I'd, I've only ever played the traditional uh, pool that you'd play in most bars, which is yeah, and that we always rack. sort of we always sort of just make our own rules up at times yeah. a little bit. Um, is calling the pocket is that like an actual rule? Yeah. Yep. Okay. Yeah. Calling the pocket for the final one. Gotcha. Yeah. Oh, so that's, cool. that's pretty. We play actually pretty traditional. There's a couple of times we've we might have tweaked a rule house rule, um, but nine balls a little different. But it mm. was a f- great movie. Oh, it was sweet. um obviously. He had a very strong 80s uh, repertoire, Mr. Scorsese. Mm. Well, this um, is sort of in a weird, at least for me, a bit of a dead period where I think of him doing, you know, Raging Bull. We love uh, The King of Comedy on the show. We did it long ago, episode yeah. 36, I want to say. Yep. And um, and then the next one, I think it was Goodfellas in the early 90s. So, yeah, this sort of hits right in the middle of those films. Yeah. And it was, uh, what's the one I'm thinking of? After Hours, is that one that I'm thinking of? Yeah, After Hours. That was 80, 85. Okay, so that's also in that little dead period yeah, for me. So, and I'd probably say this is the last one before Goodfellas, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, oh, The Last Temptation of Christ is 88. 
Okay. Which I haven't seen myself yet either. Okay, so, so yeah. a couple of films that were, and the best part was uh, Color of Money was on Star on Disney Plus. So oh, sweet. Uh, that's a courtesy of Jake Diagrella's account. Uh, oh, or, wait, what? Well, your Disney Plus account. <laughs> I forgot that you use my Disney. Well, I have my own profile, <laughs> but yes, I. Do I, I guess I do remember making your profile. Yeah. <laughs> hey, little baby Yoda is mine. Um, yeah, very good. It's just like your family and me. Uh, <laughs> It's very funny. It looks awesome, yeah. Um, so, yeah, I watched that, and it was actually really cool. I actually kind of went through... I've slowly just combed through Star for what Disney Plus has got. That It's kind mm. of cool because they've got stuff that's a little bit more obscure. Yeah. They have a lot of Searchlight production stuff, which is really nifty. I really like The Color of Money. It's great coverage. There was some really good artistic flair in there, too. Mm. It was um, probably one of his less racy plots... Um, follows mostly about the 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 whole color of money is obviously it's a play on pool sharking and right. putting money on on that sort of stuff and Tom Cruise uh plays his character to a T he kind of plays a very egotistical character that kind of feels like at least at first a few good men his character in that actually at first he actually kind of comes across as a person that kind of has like a a, a disability of some kind. Oh, interesting. Um, but it doesn't consistently carry through. By the end of it, he's just kind of a pompous jerk, which is, <laughs> um, which he is very good about playing that character, as yeah. we'll talk about a little later in the show. Um, but it, it was a little, yeah. His performance was probably my the the weaker of the two leads. Obviously, he was going mm. up against Paul Newman, who was well. Um, into his career at that point. And he is, as usual, that charismatic, charming sort of person. So it's a good movie, though. I really uh, yeah. quite enjoyed it. For his, One of his more quieter productions, for sure. Yeah, for sure. What about you? Um, yeah, so I caught a couple of things. Actually, pretty new films. I'll start with the one that you haven't seen yet. I caught a preview screening of A Quiet Place Part 2. So we talked mm. about last week at Coming to Cinemas. Uh, and the next, I think in the next week it gets its wide release. But um, yeah, I, it's interesting because I remember with the first Quiet Place, I sort of watched it in bad conditions. I refused to watch it in a cinema because of the whole thing of it being a very quiet movie. You have to pay attention and young people eating in the background. Despite seeing this like in a house, on, you know, on a TV thing, it was still a very bad experience because I had people around me eating and talking through the film and really driving me nuts. So um, I'm glad actually went the other way. I walked into the Danger Zeke. I was like, I'm going to see this in a theatre day one with a crowd who've been waiting a year because of COVID to see this movie. Mm-hmm. And um, it was crazy, like, getting home and, like, everyone in the house saw it in their own sessions. And so it was a kind of cool, exciting moment of, like, oh, people... Are... It was, like, almost like Avengers Endgame was the last time that happened. Uh-huh. Where, like, people collectively were like, we're going to watch this movie tonight. Um, so I was really glad to see it from that thing. And I liked it a lot. It was a very good crowd pleaser. Um, I thought John Krasinski's direction is very good, just as good as it is in the first film, which I've come to appreciate a lot. Continues that use of sound where you have um, Reagan and her, um, or Regan, Reagan, Reagan, I think it's Reagan. I'm thinking of um, Exorcist now. But uh, like her point of view with the taking the music out since she's a you know person who's deaf and then bringing it back when it like pulls out or cuts to someone else's point of view. So that all is still in there and the technicalities. He does a lot of match cutting this time, which is really interesting like um, cutting between two different plots and it's like oh there's fire here and there's an explosion here and like lots of cool little things and a lot of tasteful um, callbacks how's uh, Killian Murphy's performance oh he's great 
Yeah. He's very good. Just quietly great. Yeah. <laughs> As always. As always. There's a great... His introduction comes earlier than you would think. I'm going to say. And you're like, ooh, that's really cool. It's a cool little reveal about his character, um, which I won't say anything. Um, but yeah, no, he's great. The performances across the board are excellent, especially because they're so limited. There's not a lot of dialogue. Yeah. Although, a little more dialogue than I would have liked this time compared to the first one, which was basically a silent film. Mm. Um, which is I assume just, that most of that still comes in the, the flashbacks more than anything, right? Um, no. I, I, won't, I won't spoil exactly what happens, but like any film of this or any franchise of this nature, I think the characters do get smarter or they get to learn, they understand the world around them better. So they do find themselves in situations where they can openly talk to each other. Even if their voices are raspy and they're still kind of whispering at times. Uh, but because of that, the film finds more ways to make them talk. And I actually kind of wasn't a fan of that. I actually liked it when they were trying to be smarter and, and not speak. And there was no dialogue in the script. Um, which is interesting. And and like I was saying, like, I mean, the performances are great. The visual, the 35mm film, all very gritty and grainy. I love that. It looks incredible. Yep. Um, the only thing... And this is kind of a big thing because it actually kind of tainted my experience a little bit. Was I thought the script just wasn't quite there in terms of it being a coherent story or a coherent thematic theme, in the sense that you look at the first one and John Krasinski he says it says in all the interviews you know this is a story about family more than anything more than the horror tropes more than the the alien monsters or any of these things it's about family. And I thought the second one sort of lost it a little bit. It was, I think it was too busy trying to establish some lore and let the audience know a bit more about the alien monsters and build the universe. Does it feel like there'll be a part three? Um, I kind of hope so because it, it's frankly a very weak note to end on as a franchise. If, if, because this is another thing. The, the ending, it's a cool ending. It's a cool like in-the-moment sequence and it just cuts to black and you're like, oh, cool. But what did that mean for the wider world and, and the story of these characters? And it just felt a little anticlimactic in that way to the sense I was like, if there's no third part, then I'm like, oh, that's kind of a weird note to end this franchise on. I mean, it's, it's almost the equivalent, almost, of Back to the Future Part 2 ending with the Ducks alive. He's in the 1800s, but he's alive. And then that's the end of your franchise. Like, I, I imagine there's a part three based on the way it ends. That- Maybe that's why they've had to do a bit of law building because you need to kind of set up the dominoes to knock them down, sort of situation. Yeah, you know? maybe build the build the law because they might return it back to a very family focused finale. Yeah, but I will that have would to watch great. it to uh, validate what I just said. Yeah, for sure. Um. So speaking of family, <laughs> ah, okay, I know where you're going with this. Yeah, <laughs> um, I actually caught the Sony animation, The Mitchells vs. the Machines. Me too. Cool, that was a nice... Was a That's the one you have seen out of those two that I've seen. Groovy. Um, yeah, so obviously this is a 2021 release. Yeah, I think... Um, weirdly, the credits had 2020, but then it released in 2021. Yeah, like, so, so it's clearly I think we're going to hallmark it as a 21 release. Yes. God, this was fantastic. Wasn't it fantastic? It's very good. It's a very yeah. good film. It was... Sony Animation has been killing it, mm. haven't they? I... I laughed so much in this film. Okay. <laughs> like, That's good. I just, I think it was the, it's a mixture of the, I think some of the best voice acting we've seen. I, I, I think I said one of the biggest things I took away from it was it was best animated film I've seen since Spider-Verse, which was also a, a Sony animation. Uh, and, um, what's her name? Um, 
Why is it not coming up now? Oh, yeah, Christopher Miller and Phil Lord. Like, they were involved in this too as producers and whatnot. Who are they? Who are they? Yeah, who are they? Like, Cloud of Chance Meatballs, Uh, Spider-Man, Into Into the Spider-Verse. They're like the kings of anime. Didn't they direct the um, 21 Jump Street films? They might have. Dude, how do you not know these guys? Hey, come on, we can't know everyone. What? They were the ones who got fired off Solo, A Star Wars Story. Oh, yeah. Okay. (laughs) My goodness. Oh, okay. Getting destroyed here. That's that's all right. That's all right. I'm just, I'm surprised. But yeah, they're big figures in animation. Okay. Well, I, yeah, I really enjoyed this film. Um, Hmm. I can see you've, uh, you're the only one on my letterbox list that's given it three and a half over, over four, but, um, what was your problem with it? No, I didn't really, I think I was kind of nitpicky about some of the messages felt a little, I mean, I didn't mind that it was sort of over the head. That's fine. But I thought it was a little mixed at first because there there is that element underlining and we should actually explain kind of what the film's really about, which is sort of, you know, this quirky, I called it dangerously flashy because it reminded me of like, oh, is we appealing to the the kids of HD AD, uh, ADHD? Absolutely. Which it's, uh, the reason this film, it, yeah, yeah, it's is, got a personality, which is great. Same yeah. thing. I think Spider Verse did the same thing. Right. It felt a little bit more motivated in Spider Man because they're trying to do the comic book thing. Yeah. Here it's motivated because the protagonist, much like a lot of protagonists we've been talking about lately, with um Kirsten Johnson and, and Gillian Wallace Ho- uh, Horvat as like female filmmakers trying to express themselves so um katie sort of misunderstood yeah 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 katie sort of joins that that list of people now we've been talking about lately um so it's motivated from that and her expression and so i think that's great um even though i was making those jokes as we're going along i think yeah like i said i think the thing was there was that mixed messaging of like oh you know get off your phone it's it's you know you can't connect with your family it was a little mixed because it's like the dad was just a bad dad (laughs) and i know he's got his own arc yeah. But like it felt a little messy. I think ultimately it was about the way that we use technology. You have the Elon Musk esque character yeah. who's sort of he's he's very like, ah, you know, technology will solve all of our problems. Yeah, I think it comes back to it's the I think it comes back to the thing we study in, you know, like applied information sciences, the work life balance mm. or the the you know, the IT real world balance is the other way you can sort of take it where it needs to be used and it's a great resource and we should be really proud of how far we've come with it, but we shouldn't neglect it. And I mean, that's kind of the whole uh, incentive for Olivia Coleman's. Right. Uh, I character. totally forgot it was her until the credits. I was like, oh, that was Olivia Coleman. Oh, no, her yes. voice is so iconic. I know. Well, just... I, w- I want to give a shout out to the who played the boy. Um, it's Michael Reander. Oh, really? The director? The director did. That is the That voice is perfect. Yeah. The little boy's like sort of. Oh, how do I even describe it? So it's so, it's so like deep. It's so like quick, kind of yeah. spitting words. You know, there's something about it. Really great, really great. I voice thought the, work. the the whole ensemble car, the whole Mitchell's family worked yeah. pretty perfectly. Mm. Like when I found out when I was like, oh, who's this voice? I've heard this before. It was Danny McBride. I was like, oh, okay. Yeah, I was trying to put my finger on and, it. He's and also then when I, said, I was like, <laughs> that's my Rudolph's voice. And then I saw it, and it was like, yeah, yeah. It makes sense because. It was a really good battle because I think it's a mix. It's it's the you know you've got the 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 father daughter relationship arc. You've got the technology arc. You've got their individual identity arcs. Then you've got like the embracing of sort of the dysfunctional family sort of arc. And I think the the chemistry that they had in 
you know, mixture with the, the comedy. I, I think I was laughing like every two or three minutes. Like, yeah. There's a lot of good chuckles in this film. It's really like to like for me to walk away and go, this was a funny film that like right. still made me feel the emotion. It's kind of what peak Pixar could do. Mm. And that's what peak Pixar did. Like, you know, you watch toy story three and you're crying one minute, but you are laughing in another, you know, right. that's the balance I think. And, um, I think they're really, and Spider-Verse has kind of got the same thing. I like, you know, there's, there's some serious heart and identity in, in, in it, but it also makes you laugh a lot. Like you are laughing, you know, you got people like Nick Cage or Billy Crystal's voices. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. Like, like, if you, yeah, if you love Spider-Verse, this film is very similar in a lot of ways, stylistically, yeah. um, the animation, like there was, there was something about the animation. There was a bit of cell shadedness like the texture of this skin which just made it a li- like more unique than your typical yeah cloudy change of me- chance of meatballs looks so generic at this point so i like that they did tiny little tweaks in the animation here that it's like it kind of looks like it but not really there's there's some yeah, more subtlety comic book yeah yeah just the way it looks um so i really appreciated that no i thought it was a great film i, I like how you're saying Three and a half stars. What did you think wrong with it? Like that's still a great score, but <laughs> I know it's more just like first one I've seen like that. No, nah, that's first not. I mean, look, it's it's a great film. It didn't speak to me as much. I think Spider Verse is definitely a better film, and like I said, I think that the sort of the way they deliver that message was a little messy at times. Ultimately, I get it. The you know abusing the use of technology versus using it um as self-expression like katie does i think katie's is an excellent character in general yeah um, i think she's a very well constructed character yeah nah, just great stuff there yeah it's a great film i definitely recommend it, it was definitely better than i thought it was going to be back when it was it used to be called connected um which is such a more generic title than than Somebody. the Mitchells and the machines that's the one that used to be called connected that we're making jokes on this one was yeah this was it they changed the title very recently wow, that's bad I'm glad they changed the title, though. Although I, I find it a little ironic that there's all of these little graphical blips and bloops that come up, and I'm like, they're just stealing my ideas from Disconnected, aren't they? These little graphics they're using. Oh, I'm should kidding. They launch a... Uh, <laughs> and I should sue them. Sue them. For the widely distributed Disconnected that sold 30 DVDs. <laughs> all Did the Netflix any, people saw anything it. else? Uh, that was it for me. Those were the two that I saw okay, this week. Okay, so I'll just dump quickly the two that I have seen. Yeah. Um, so over to a film that did have Nicolas Cage in it from our uh, Spider Verse. Segwaying all over the place. I, like um, it. I watched a Coen Brothers film, uh, the 1987 Raising Arizona. Ooh, um, I haven't Very seen a Coen early, Brothers film, yeah, in a, quite a while. I think Raising Arizona is their second or third film. Blood Simple's their first, right? Um, I could probably find out real quick because I know at this point I think it was only Joel was directing some of them. Yeah, and I think actually the new Macbeth film with with Francis McDormand, I think he's also solo directing that, which is very interesting. He Ethan, has this... Ethan sometimes just writes. Yeah, I think it's been a while though since they've only one of them's directed. Mm. To be fair, the last one they did was Buster Scruggs, and you had six smaller ones in that. So okay, you know there was a bit of differentiation direction. So here we go. I got earliest first here. Yeah, Blood Simple was their first feature. That's yep. more than 30 minutes. Oh, and then Raising Arizona is the next one. There you go. So, yeah. Second or third. Good guess. See. Um, cool. It's funny. It's a very funny. It's, uh, it's, mm. It follows a uh, ex-con, Nicolas Cage's character, um, and his wife, who happens to be a policeman who was at the penitentiary. They get mm. married. They can't have kids, and they steal a kid. 
<laughs> from like That's a, a great quintuplet. premise. And it's like, and you, you hear that premise, you're like, yeah, that kind of sounds like a Coen Brothers film. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and it's got a really early performance from John Goodman, who's really funny in it. And wow, I didn't realize they worked with him that far back. Yeah. And Francis McDormand's in this. Yep. Oh, look at that. Incredible. They definitely kept it in-house a lot. I think this is the only time we see Nicolas Cage pop up in one of the Coen Brothers films, unfortunately. Um, he's actually really great in this. Um, I'm very... Not very pro Nicolas Cage as an actor. I think right. for the most part, I think I can name less than five films I think he's good in. I think he's just too Kick, much. Kick-Ass is his best film. That's his best performance. It's pretty close, yeah. It's pretty good. It's pretty good. It's I think this one would be up there. He's funny in this. He's yep. kind of got that Logan Lucky trailing oh, yeah. sort of vibe. Um which and it makes his performance and it's a bit more uh, reserved. Um, it's okay. like I did not like Fear and Loathing. It wasn't screaming about bees in this one. No, reading me alive. <laughs> um, yeah, he was in the Ant Bully. That doesn't surprise me. He stars as Zoo, the voice of Zoo. I along assume with that's the Meryl uh, Streep, who's the queen. Wow, how did they get them on that? <laughs> and just to wrap up the other film I caught was One Hour Photo and if you want to see if you liked Insomnia i.e. Robin Ooh. Williams being a creep this kind of takes it to another level oh wow that's Robin Williams on the poster yep wow look at that so this is a 2004 film um, in which he plays a photo developer at a kind of a Walmart right. store and he becomes obsessed with a uh, family um, and he sort of starts to psychologically put himself in their lives. Mm. This kind of sounds a little similar to a, a short that you were pitching me about maybe a year ago now. It was, yeah. Yeah, how creepy is that? That is a bit creepy because I had never seen this film. Yeah. And yeah, it pretty much is kind of what that idea was. So I got beaten to the yeah, punch. Yeah, look um, at this. That Bye. one had a little bit of alteration to it. Um that was more like a parallel the, timeline. The, the inciting incident's di- completely different in yours, but that is sort of what it ends up. Yeah. At least what you told me about it. Yeah, there's definitely definitely bits in it for sure, yeah. like correlation for sure. Um, it was creepy. It was mm. creepy. So, And that's what I, when I was considering that idea, that's what I was going for, and this really hits the nail on the head. It's also on Disney Plus, um, apparently. Yep, that's where I watched it. Um, it's... All these free movies I'm giving you. <laughs> Has a bit of a bit of a swerve ending too. Um, okay, I actually quite enjoyed it. Um, it's interesting seeing him in these roles. Um, I definitely think that's what I liked him in Insomnia for, and and this film definitely same sort of boat hmm. for sure. But that's all I caught in the last week. There you go. Well, I have. I wouldn't call this a career update. It's more of a fun story. Okay. This is a funny story. So um, I won't talk about this too much yet. There's still some stuff to be announced. But basically, I'm involved um, very part-time, un- mostly unpaid um, thing with this uh, VR uh, operation that we're hoping to get into hospitals. Okay. It's a bit of a trial thing we're doing, and I'm helping them out. And on Sunday... I don't know why you're filming me, Zig. This is not a special moment. <laughs> um, no, so on the Sunday, I was at a shoot, which we won't talk about because it was a sort of a favor thing. It wasn't like a true, like, oh, everyone go watch this thing. But we were up to three in the morning, so I was so tired to have to give this um, little demonstration on the Monday morning to uh, one of the doctors at this hospital that we're sort of pitching to. And 
we get there and I connect the headsets to the 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 Wi-Fi and it's like okay I'm I'm dead tired I'm running late I didn't realize I had to pay for parking but I've done it but I'm ready to do this um so I tell Emma who's one of my contacts I'm like all right I'm ready to go she's like all right I'm gonna go grab this girl I'm gonna grab this person so she walks out and I'm sitting there I'm like okay okay it's a pretty big conference room but yeah I like that a bit of space mm-hmm. sitting on the chair whatever and then a bunch of people start walking in. I'm like, what's going on? They all start walking down and sitting down and getting their coffees. And I'm like, oh, crap. This is a full-on presentation. <laughs> I was like, oh, no. So not a career update, just a brag that I completely BSed a VR presentation to like a dozen doctors and nurses um, this past Monday, um, which might be why the podcast was a few hours late. How nervous were you? Uh, a Wait. little, but like... I just sort of rolled with it, you know? Well, like, you don't have time to freak out about it. He's like, oh, well, I guess I'm doing this. Well received? Oh, yeah. They loved it. It was great. And it worked. It worked. I, this was the ballsiest thing. I was. I basically was like, I'm going to try this thing on this iPad that I don't know works at all, but this is the best opportunity for me to try it. And if it doesn't work, I'm going to look like a complete idiot <laughs> in front of all these people. Basically, the, the app that we use um, where you can control what videos are playing in the headset I wanted to test if you could do two at the same time. So I had the two headsets connected and two people were wearing them. I was like, just give me a moment. I'm going to try this. So I tried it and it transmitted the same video to both headsets at once. And we got both feeds, different videos on the iPad screen. And I was like, big, big risk, <laughs> big payoff. Because <laughs> I didn't know. I checked that before. No, because I've never had two people at once to try it with. So I, I was like, you know what? I'm going to try it now in front of all these people. Boy, are you crazy. Boy, are you crazy. <laughs> oh, it was awesome. Well, I'm glad I it worked out I just had to tell that story because it was so funny. I'm glad it worked funny. out well for you. Yeah, thank God. So you might find out in the next couple of weeks what's that, what that is all about. Who knows? We'll see. No dramas, but it's time for us to move into our film of the week and the latest addition to our countdown mm. through the decades retrospective. We're moving into the 2000s, the aughts. But Jake, <laughs> what are we watching? Just picking the show, Zeke. We're watching... Tropic Thunder. This summer, I want to make this movie right. We take those boys up there, put them in the trees, shoot the whole thing gorilla style. Real fear in the right. Yes, yes. The movie they think they're making. Exterior, rainforest, dust, cut to a frightening jungle. Isn't a movie anymore. Don't let it make it. So what? Exactly. Let's use it. Some of us might not make it back. What do you mean? Like, not on the same flight? We'll send you here. Hey, dude, you all right? Totally lean into that, bro. You want to do one more? I don't believe you people. What do you mean, you people? What do you mean, you people? Tropic Thunder. To go a lot of trying just to get up that here. No, we up in a big league. That's the theme song for the Jefferson. Ain't nothing wrong with that. You out of your mind. What? You really need help. Yeah, just because the theme song don't make it not true. A film crew shooting a big budget war movie are forced to become soldiers they are portraying when they are attacked by a gang of poppy-growing local drug dealers due to their mistaken identities. 
dun dun dun. This sounds like a very tense situation, Zeke. Yes. Doesn't sound like there's any humor at all no. in this situation. So <laughs> this one in our, you know, most yeah. voted poll ever against the hangover. Yeah, it was uh forty six to thirty one, so seventy seven votes in total. Look at that. Crazy. Crazy. It's also, I think, it was Ben Stiller's directorial debut, if I'm not mistaken. Oh, no way. Is it not his directorial debut? That this is such a brilliant piece of direction. And it, it I remember it always took me so long to realise that Ben Stiller was directing all the films he's in. Let's find out. I think he, he didn't direct Night in the Museum, but he directs most of the stuff he's in, I feel like. Alright, let's see. Um oh we directed Zoolander and Cable oh, Guy. Oh Cable Guy. Yeah. Right, fair. that makes sense. Yeah, I didn't think this was there's no way his first film. That makes sense. But it took it took me a long time to realise that he's not just a comedic actor, he was also directing a lot of the films that mm. he's in. That always surprised me. It wasn't that long ago I learnt that. But Yeah, um, it's pretty impressive, isn't it? Yeah. And Tropic Thunder though. Now I've seen this film. This I rewatched it this morning. It might actually only be the second time I've watched it from start to finish all the way through. For me, it kind of had the um, the Team America effect where I watched a certain chunk of this film for the first time, was losing it laughing. And by the time at a different date that I sat down and watched the rest of the film, it was a little weaker in memory. That happened with Team America when I watched the last, the third act mm-hmm. first. And then years later, watching the rest of the film, it not being as funny as I remembered it being. That being said, rewatching it this morning, there's a lot of great jokes in this film. A lot of yeah, great I, lines. I think this is one of the films that makes me laugh the most. Mm. I think whole way through, I remember the first time I watched this film, I was oh, it was so funny. So there's actually a funny story behind the Tropic Thunder. Ooh, okay. First watch. Uh, I think I watched this. This film came out in 2008. Yes. Um, which you and I at the time would have been 11. Yeah, I definitely didn't um, see this in a theatre. <laughs> so, and obviously it's got an MA rating. Um, we borrowed this from Blockbuster in Ooh. 2009. Okay. So obviously I'm 12, um, my sister's 9, and my brother's, he's actually alright, he's 14. So Yeah, that's more in line, I reckon. We used to watch it all together as a family, and of course, you know, it's a single mum, so it's our mum and us three, and... They all missed the trailers at the start, the fake trailers. Oh, okay, okay. It was just me who watched them. And I was a little confused because I'm 11 and I'm watching these trailers. And I legitimately think they're actual... Movie trailers, yeah. Yeah. And I'm like, what's... what's, Because the film really does trick you because there's no... The logos, the DreamWorks logo happens after the four... There's one commercial and the three movie trailers. Then the logo start, and they used if they use New Line Cinema, and they use um I think 20th Century Fox. Yeah, like they use it's like they use real wow, ones. they really yeah. go. To, they it's are like, not. Wow. They are not taking the piss. And, so they really do trick you. And in all seriousness, you watch those trailers, bar probably the Scorcher trailer, <laughs> and they actually could absolutely be real movies at that yeah. time. Like the Jack Black one, that was what Jack Black was doing at the time. Yeah, those yeah. kinds of the shallow house sort of thing. Shallow house, School of Rock sort of. And Oh, School of Rock is a much more clever film. It's okay. not a fart movie, yeah, okay. lowbrow thing. Shallow how then. Okay, okay. Um, <laughs> I'm defending School of Rock's honour. <laughs> and then, you know, you look at Robert Downey Jr. and, and Toby Maguire hitting that in that priest one and just the way it they marked <laughs> it. Toby Maguire a... kills me at that trailer. <laughs> Where he's just like 
staring a lot yeah. and it's like it, and it's so funny watching it as like when you're watching it as an 11 year old because you're like that's spider-man because that was the only <laughs> spider-man at the time i think garfield had yeah was yeah just, he, that was so it was just him at the time and, and i didn't really know anything about robert downey jr so because that same, was kind same of same year as iron man well there you go yeah. and i hadn't what i didn't watch iron man when it came out so right, okay interesting I think for most people, they didn't really know. To, I know he kind of dropped off the face of the earth quite a bit in that early 2000s period. It was a bit of a... Yeah, well, I mean... It was actually a bit of a... It's funny because a lot of the actors in this kind of actually had a bit of a a lull in their career. Matthew McConaughey had a lull in his career at this time. Mm. Like, he was getting put in a lot of those B-rated rom-com films. Like, yeah. when I say this, they were still making money. They were still in films, but they weren't doing films that would win them oscars or anything like that they were well, I, I might defend robbie downey jr stance and again come on you're you're what 11 12 at the situation yeah. so you wouldn't have watched zodiac or kiss kiss bang bang at this point no so he was kind of on the trend up i think yeah this film was this one point, of them yeah. yeah people like matthew mcconaughey like they were just he was just doing nothing in that right. period um uh and I don't think he really got his resurgence. I think until about True Detective, sort of. That was when he really started to get that was that was an explosion. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I, he, Wolf of Wall Street was a big one too. Like yeah. his tiny little role. Well, he was did like Dallas huge. Buyers Club and so. Oh, yeah. that yeah, another so. big one. And he won. He yeah. won. He, he won bought, beat Leo from Wolf of Wall Street. <laughs> oh, <laughs> that was the whole thing. Um, Interesting. So, oh, excuse mm. me. Um, so yeah, I thought it was really funny, and then of course everyone joins me in the room. And this eleven-year-old, I've watched these trailers. I'm like, they all seem believable enough for me. They're a bit yeah. eccentric, but they weren't crazy. And the music starts playing, and it's like the most, like, you can tell it's very much like a Vietnam sort of. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, I think the only thing that kind of gives it away is the Nick Nolte of those four, two, novels of those right, two, yeah, one yeah, going to yeah. be video, which this is the story about those. That, <laughs> I think I, that just kind of went over my head at the time. Of course, no, And yeah. no one saw that, so they all see the choppers coming in. And we're watching it, and people's, you know, it's a bit with Jay Bershnall's got his intestines out. <laughs> and it's like, for the first five minutes, my mum doesn't know this is a spoof film. Yeah. And of course, we don't even really know what spoof films are at this point. Right. Um, so she's like, oh, God, this is really violent. We've only just started watching this. <laughs> and then it cuts to that moment when Steve Coogan's watching them. We the cut to the reverse, yeah. But it's just that bit where he's just getting shot like 60 times, and he just doesn't go down. <laughs> And the the thing with the the hands. Oh, <laughs> well, that's the thing. If you, the family's watching this seriously, are they not like chuckling because it's like it's a little bit over the top? Yeah. Well, even just like the the crying, and like he's like, "You're my brother. You're my brother." <laughs> like it 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 commits to the bit so much in the way it's shot and the music yeah. and everything that if you're watching it seriously, like, does that make you laugh and you, you're unintentionally laughing at it? I think so. I think I'm, so. I'm curious to see that In reaction. hindsight, I, I don't know. Like, that was my funny story at that time. I've watched this yeah. film maybe two or three times since then and and I don't know how that went over my head that far in, but right. it, it, it's, it is a funny film. Mm. Uh, I think you're guaranteed to laugh with this film once every five minutes at the very least. Yeah. Um, it's so fast and the dialogue is so aggressive, yeah. I think. Um, <laughs> I mean, I think the first, because for me, the, my biggest memory is the first 30 minutes of this film. I've seen many times. Usually I kind of just, I'm watching it for whatever and then I turn it off by the time they get into the jungle. 
Yeah. Um, I don't know why. I've always just loved that first 30 minutes above all else. It's pretty good. Oh, it's great. It, it intros all the characters. There's that whole bit where, you know, Ben Stiller's looking at the entertainment tonight. And yeah. And it really kind of rounds that's, off all that's of the great. actors. Yeah. And that's really funny. Um, you get the Tom Cruise intro. Yeah. Um, you get the Nick Nolte intro. <laughs> <It's just laughs> so funny. I think, um, yeah, I, I do love the... And again, re-watching it, it's like, no, there's a lot of great humour peppered throughout. Absolutely. And a lot of like Robert Downey Jr.'s lines are just like classic. Um, and there's a lot to talk about his character as well. But I love the cast as well. Like, um, I think the cast is one of its biggest achievements. I think because I think of Jay from The World's End, or this is the end, rather, yeah. like that, because he, he's like the most centered him himself protagonist of that film. He still he, is in this film, too, really. He, he is, but like, something about his performance is like, I really like him. I think I relate to him a lot because he has those random sprouts of like talking about format wars <laughs> while they walk in the jungle and like. Like the Blu-ray one because every PlayStation had one, and like that, that <laughs> I was like, that's so me, just randomly spewing facts. But um, no, he was a great addition to this, and of course, like the main um, three were like Jack Black and Ben Stiller and Robert Downey Jr. Are excellent. Tom Cruise is incredible. I love the line where he's like, like, oh, who's which one of you little shits is the director? And he's like, all right, now which one's the key grip? I want you to punch him in the face. Yeah. <laughs> it's so good. Sorry, man. For- yeah, sorry, man. <laughs> Straight budget. Tom Cruise there when it comes back to the the first half of the show with the color of money conversation. He yeah. is just so good at playing someone that is just a hellraiser, yeah, borderline psychopath kind of person. <laughs> like it, it's that whole speech that he has on the phone to the um, the poppy farmer hostages, oh, yeah. like the, the <laughs> poppy farm farmers have taken the actors hostage it's just so funny yeah um i think this film really pushes it's a you know it's this is one thing we haven't really had i think it's the first comedy we've talked about as a film of the week like pure comedy pure comedy potentially yeah and it can be tricky because you know oh, airplane we did uh, airplane yeah we did yeah so yeah um so they're both kind of spoof films really um, yeah. and what I found amazing is there's a 30 minute mockumentary about the, the oh, making of this film. Oh, that's great. Played, <laughs> and the title is a play on The Heart of Darkness. Oh, I did see that in Ben Stiller's filmography. It is Reign of Madness. Is yeah. that it? Yeah, very nice. I should watch that too. <laughs> um, that was my fact for the film. Um, oh, there you go. Fun fact. Um, that we haven't started yet. No. <laughs> you got you get one in. I haven't seen it either, and I, I would be keen to watch it. Apparently, the first cut of this film was three and a half hours long. Really? Yeah. Oh, that might have bogged it down a little bit. I think... It, if it was funny, but, you know. This is what it comes back to. It's like, you don't want to get the... You don't want to have the Apatow effect. Um, no. I actually think... Ironically, I actually think Walter Mitty has that problem, too. I think Walter Mitty's too bloated. Interesting. Um... I wasn't a big fan of that film, but that being said, this film is a tight hundred and it's a good, good hundred. Mm. Um, it's funny. I think the, 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 the plethora, the cast range is, is crazy. It almost feels like everyone wanted to get in on it. Um, because it, it was such a fun script. Yeah. It feels like one of those projects where much like this is the end, which is different because everyone's playing themselves as, as opposed to this. Yeah. But it's like, I think, I think people were really drawn to, the, the the absurd aspect of like the actors and that's the self-importance of of acting and filmmaking how these producers like 
oh yeah, we can make money off of Ben Stiller's character being killed in Ransom. So they're like maniacally laughing and dancing and <laughs> that that kind of absurdism that they have, and then Robert Downey Jr. like going to the nth degree to be method. I think they were all drawn to that because yeah, it's such a fun parody. Because it's a fun parody and it's a fun spoof. It is obviously got some degree, even if it's a minute degree of truth to it. Like I think a lot of their yeah. characters were based off people that they might have known at some point in their careers or mm. even themselves maybe at some point. And maybe that's why they enjoy being, you know, like the pyrotechnics guy that takes it way too seriously and thinks he's... <laughs> The most, you know, he's got a gun. He's just this redneck that has no discipline whatsoever. Yeah, yeah, or, yeah. or this guy who we're basing this true story off who's a complete nut of fraud. Um, <laughs> yeah, that, see, that's the interesting thing because um, the, the four-leaf reveal that he's actually not a war veteran at all yeah. and that this is all kind of BS, it takes it further from that Hollywood stage where it's like, oh, look how fake Hollywood is. And it's like, no, it even goes beyond that here's a faker getting into hollywood with a fake story yeah and putting on that persona as a war veteran and i was like that's really because i didn't remember that i didn't remember that he was a fake and he actually had hands, hands and all of that. yeah, yeah. <laughs> and sanitation and then yeah exactly and each character gets there you have hands moment <laughs> or the agent that's so desperately trying to clang onto his star that he's willing to go to the jungle with tivo <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. that's one of my favorite lines of tivo <laughs> Like that has not aged well at all. Like TiVo. Oh, TiVo's great. <laughs> Man. Be like a Netflix box now. It's just funny, like and it's like even like especially someone like, um, you know, even Bill Hader's character who's mm. just like sucking up to Tom the Cruise yes man, all yeah. the time, yeah. and Tom Cruise is one of those characters. It's like obviously it would probably be interesting. Would what would this film look like if it was made today? That's my question. Mm. Um, because my instinct would be to say that a film like this can't be made today, at least not in the way they did it. With you know, the, there is blackface and there's a lot of uh, all the stuff with the simple Jack commentary. Yeah, I, is, I think they outright comment on how bad blackface no, well, is. No, exactly. And like look, the the whole thing with this film is it very much is doing it to show how awful it is. And that's, and there's a great Joe Rogan discussion with Robert Downey Jr. where they taught, and this was only like a year ago when they sat down and yeah. taught, and I thought it was an excellent explanation of what happened. The fact that Robert Downey Jr. is like, most of my black friends totally love that performance and love what we did with it. Um, which, you know, you could say what you want about that. Because the, but, I mean, the commentary is in the film. It's like, well, exactly. I, and I that is his incredibly art. considerate film because of, the fact that there is that scene with Al Pacino where he's like, they've got a black guy right here, but they give it to... Yeah. Like I forgot how directly they address it in the film. Yeah. So I really, I do appreciate that a lot. Yeah. And I, I think there's a lot of subversion of stereotype there. There's that. And then there's sort of the, they talk a little bit, you know, Jack Black's character, which, yeah. which his career has been defined by his weight and his size and his mannerisms. Yeah. Or, you know, um, Al Pacino's character, exact same thing. He's been, he's black, so he has to be a rapper. Hmm. Like, you know, and, and, you know, they'd even dive into his sexuality problems. That's right. Yeah, they they do touch on that. I mean, obviously, I think Robert Downey Jr.'s whole thing gets way more time explored than either of them. And, you know, the stuff with... There might be one of the drawbacks. Like, they don't really explore those characters probably as much as they should. If if there was a three and a half hour cut where they got more time, then... It, I think it's a shame if that's what got cut is some of there. Yeah. Because I could have got more of Jack Black and like obviously he's got an addiction to drugs mm. and that's sort of explored and I, I guess he kind of overcomes. He does overcome it because he uses it 
to fight back at the end as opposed to actually taking the drugs. Yeah, I so mean, there's bits it's and a pieces very there. loose arc. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I think it's tricky. Him, him it's... tied to the tree is hilarious, though. It's like, I will literally suck your teeth <laughs> if you let me out. I think it just comes back to... It's tough with comedies because it's yeah. like not every comedy has to... We talk about Mitchell's and Machines, which has mm. quite um, emotional subject matter. And some of the themes that they are exploring with sort of actor crises or the social and political injustices of actors in Hollywood right. are very relevant conversation points today. Mm. Um, so I think the thing that they do with, with Danny Jr.'s character is very self-aware and very intentional because they talk about it directly. And it does get the most time, which is nice, but obviously, yeah, they have all the extra stuff with Black's character and Al Pacino's character, which doesn't get as much time, which would have been nice maybe if they had added an extra 20 minutes of that three and a half hour cup, maybe they could do a bit more exploring with it, but yeah, yeah. at the end of the day, it's a it's a five-person ensemble minimum, and then you add the stuff it's with It's a big Tom, ensemble, yeah. And Tom Cruise's character got way more time than they planned his character to have, and then on top of that, you got Bill Hader and, and Matthew McConaughey in that storyline over there, and then you got Danny McBride and and Nick Nolte over there. And yeah, next yeah. thing you know it, you're like, holy crap, there's like 12, 13 characters we got to get through here and yeah. there's only 100 minutes. Like, I guess it's a good point because you do, yeah, you point out all those characters and I'm still here thinking like, those are really the only two I could think of that I could have got a little more. It, like, even to an extent, I think Jack Black as, um, is it Jeff? Yeah, Jeff. I mean, I would argue Ben Stiller's character gets more time than it probably needs. The only reason, uh, the well, only reason his character gets, me, mm. like, he doesn't have... His arc is basically don't be selfish or as narcissistic as he'd been in the past. Like, he doesn't have to be the star of every show. I guess. I feel that's kind of maybe more subtly because you think about... There is a self-importance there because it's, it's it goes back to the whole Simple Jack discussion. That that scene is so brilliant because it's so true. And we just saw it with, with Sears film music Yes, in terms of don't go full... Uh, full R, let's say full R. Yes. <laughs> like it's such a true statement. And don't like, overdo the special needs. Yeah, well, don't overdo it. There's still going to be some sort of form of relatability. And and he says it. He's like, I played that character to be dumb to the point where I started to feel dumb. And it's like then that character is just dumb and nothing else. And that's why that's such a great speech. And I, it's delivered by the five-time Academy Award winner Kirk. What is it, Kirk? Lazarus. Lazarus. <laughs> So it's like you have this guy who's telling you the art of it, how to do it. Uh, it's a great scene, but yeah. you're right. I think it does touch on a lot of things that are still quite accurate. And I think it, it, it's a poignant film. And like I think the commentary is pretty spot on. Yeah, I think that's what makes this film really special. I actually haven't given it a rating. Now that I think I'm it comes back it. to... should give it a rating. It has the effect that the Mel Brooks comedies had of the 70s and the, the early 80s. You mm. know, the Blazing Saddles, the... Men in tights, they they actually have some decent commentary in them, but they walk that really dark humour line. And I know people, some people really struggle to watch things like Blazing Saddles and stuff like that, mm. because obviously the heavy use of the N-word and stuff like that. But, you know, as he's talked about it, you know, um, I mean, he did a, the whole thing with the producers, which was them producing a show called Hitler in Springtime. Um, he always, his methodology, and he always used to recount it, was the best way to address the you know social and political problems of the world is to laugh at it or to know when mm. to make fun of it and when to make it. The best commentary we can make right. is through the jokes so we can identify what's wrong and what's right. Yeah. And it's a way of making them not be taken as seriously. 
if we can laugh about it, they lose their power almost. Sort of that mentality of it. There are films that have the exact same sort of commentary as something like Kurt Lazarus' character, Mm. a white person taking the role of an African-American actor. Um, And they're way more, uh, you know, they're way more uh, direct and they're way more serious mm-hmm. and sometimes that doesn't register whereas people will talk about this character and still do talk about this character still quote this character yeah and Plain still dude. make fun of this character and still kind of admire the boldness of taking on that character because of how it's not just that it's also making fun of the whole methodology thing the the jared leto syndrome yeah if you, are, <laughs> if you want I to mean, call it i mean the best response to that is that when he responds like who are you calling you people yeah. And then the actual black guy says, what do you mean, you people? <laughs> like, just that one little shot is the perfect, like, circular yeah. storytelling it's doing where, like, this is wrong and this is crazy and that's why they're doing this is to point out how crazy this is. I mean, the answer to your question, because I couldn't quite answer it earlier, of what would this film look like today? You know, you talk about how, like, this is a thing that actors are dealing with. And I only just realized this when you mentioned it. There's, like, no women in this film, like, at all. And it, it's it's a war film... And it's pointing out sort of the the, the hierarchy of industry. There's no women. In there's this no women. There's a couple at the Oscars in the final scene, but they're like the almost like the reward without being the reward. It's kind of like the this is the end situation because the same yeah. thing kind of happens in this is the end with Bar Emma Watson's kind of yeah. At, the, at least she has a moment. She like right. fights back at them and it's <laughs> a, a weirdly yeah. It's a weirdly yeah. <laughs> and maybe maybe if they did a a sequel-esque kind of film well, that, yeah. that's it if this was today sequel. it would have been more about the Me Too movement and it might have been a little more serious than this film is serious and there would be way more women cast in the roles it would definitely be more serious and definitely would incorporate yeah. that and um, maybe Tom Cruise's character would not end with a such a happy ending I imagine <laughs> couldn't imagine that the dancing um, that would be interesting yeah. I'd be open to having another spoof film like, yeah. yeah of course I think this one also was an interesting the fact that they frame it, because this, this is one thing that I really like, they frame it around the Vietnam War, because the Vietnam War was kind of exposed for. I mean, obviously they've done the parallel to Apocalypse Now, like the identity oh, a thousand crisis. percent. Like yeah. there's a huge, huge draws with the Apocalypse a lot Now of stuff. homages and the shots, the helicopters, you know, the, 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 the Ben Stiller putting the water yep, on his face. Exactly, I've yeah. changed. Actually, you know what? Um, a Quiet Place too. I'm pretty sure it has a. A very for me it was a very obvious apocalypse now shot with with your mate. Is it Killian or Cillian? Because I'm it's I'm, Killian. It's Killian. I think I've been saying it wrong all these years. Because yeah. <laughs> Irish. Ah, uh, makes it's sense. Yeah. yeah, I mean he gets that moment. He gets the apocalypse now shot. So if you see it, you'll see it. I'm confident you'll you'll pick it up. Yeah, but, got, yeah. I remember once he got really offended because some American guy interviewed him and he was like, "Oh, you're British." And he went, "No, I'm Irish." Anyway, and he was like, "Oh yeah, but that's like part of Britain." He's like, "No, I'm oh, from the no. Republic." Once like, you get corrected, don't keep correcting them. I just, and I just was, uh, yeah, I was, and it just got really awkward after that because it's like he, he corrected you, and he, he he was very calm about it. He wasn't rude or anything, right? But he just had to like be like, "No, I'm from Ireland. I'm not from the Republic." Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. There's a great I'm scene. Northern with... Ireland, sorry, Republic. He's part of the Republic. Yeah. There's a great little interview piece clipped out of John Cusack. Mm. And, um, oh, what movie with it? Sort of this young reporter. And she's like, oh, it's funny because I, I skipped class today and they're actually watching American Beauty. And he's like, what, what, why is that funny? And she's like, well, you're in it. He's like, no, I'm not. And she's like, yeah, you are. 
and then they keep going back and forth. And it's like, why after the first time would you keep saying, no, you were in that movie? Like, how dumb could you be? <laughs> it just reminded me of that. Which is, yeah, That's no. funny. Um, yeah, Hollywood, no. the side back somehow. I think it's interesting. <laughs> no, it's interesting with the, the Vietnam parallel because it's like, It'd be interesting if you did one nowadays, what would you focus on? Like, what would be the spoof? What would be spoof? Um, I guess. I mean, we're not that far removed from, you know, 2008 when this film came out in terms yeah. of what is an up more more uh, contemporary war setting that doesn't feel too soon. I guess you could do like a Hurt Locker spoof. Ooh, that might but be that's, that's hard. That would yeah. be hard to do. I don't think it has to be a wartime thing either. Okay. Um, It'd be interesting to explore it, but yeah, I definitely think if you did one nowadays. But it's nice to have films like this that kind of... It's the Hollywood apparatus kind of making fun of itself, Mm. which that's what Mel Brooks used to do a lot, and I really like that sort of style of humour because it's the self-aware of the ego that goes behind sort of the actors, and it's like, you know, it's like the thing with Kurt Lazarus, who's won five times, and he sits there and he switches all his characters, and he goes, I think I might be nobody, and you're like, wow... Yeah. You are so full of it. Like, <laughs> and it's just, it's funny because Jay does play kind of that straight character yeah. in this. It, yeah, it's kind of what you expect. I do, I do like that he's not like a coward though. Like he's a nerd. Yeah. But he's not a coward. He's, no, at, he's he usually runs in. And that's what the I gunfire. like. Like he yeah. is the, he is the character who actually keeps the unit together. He's yeah. the character that. He's probably the most stand-in for the audience character. Like, wow, the ego in this room is just ridiculous. Yeah, like, yeah, he can get those lines. And... Like, he does get those lines where he's like, you're full of it, you're full of it, and you need to calm down, and it's like... Yeah. It's like... But it's, get... but it's not, like, obvious either. Like, it's like when you sit down and think about it, you're like, oh, I guess that is the most rational character there. Like, he still fits in the group without the absurdism of any of the other people yeah. in that same group. So it's it's really impressive, to be honest. That he stands his own while being the straight man, while not being too obvious about it. He still gets one of my favourite lines in the film. I think I could put it back in. <laughs> it's so funny. Oh, man. He talks about Jennifer Love Hewitt. That's how you know it's 2008. Yeah, exactly. Well, that's that's one of the only girls that's credited in this film at all. The Ghost oh, Whisperer. Yeah, the Ghost Whisperer. I'll check the other... Yeah, Jennifer Love Hewitt. Oh, and Alicia um, Silverstone. Okay. I guess I guess they were both in the Oscars at the very end of the movie. Yeah. The one, well, there's a couple of things. I I just want to quickly shout out. Like I said, the film really commits to the bit, not just in the opening scene for how long it is before they show you know the the reflective style, if you will, the the, the filmmakers, but even just like the way it's shot and edited during the action sequences. Like it really, it doesn't feel like a fake. Oh, you know, this is a cheap comedy. Everything's over lit. Like, no, when when they're entering, like the interiors of the camp, it is dirty and gritty and muddy, yeah. and it looks excellent. And I actually noticed the uh, the DOP was uh, John Toll in the credits. I was like, he did the Breaking Bad pilot. Oh wow, he's like a legit. Not not that a legit DOP wouldn't do a comedy, but I was like, wow, like that is not that was not my first guess. So I actually really That's appreciate it, and like the fight scenes are all. Yeah, it's really a well very, done. It's a very shaky clean film. That. Like it doesn't yeah. feel cheap by any any stretch. Yeah. No, sure. I really appreciated that. Do you have anything um, else you'd like to add? But yeah, the other thing before I forget, this was interesting because I I don't know if the film really quite cemented its opinion on this. Okay, it, I, I, it kind of does in an interesting way. So 
it's all the whole thing with the simple Jack thing is that we're making fun of Ben Stiller's ego or the character's ego for wanting to do a role like that and okay. for doing it for I guess this gets into the character motive or his arc that we were talking about earlier. Yeah. Where he wants to be seen as this great actor, I guess. And that's why he commits to the film so much, even when there's all this proof that they're not in the movie anymore. Yeah. Um, but then we see that the um, the camp is full of people who love the film and force him to do it and reenact because it was the only piece of media that they had, the only bit of en- yeah. enjoyment. And you get a little bit of that as well with the other characters when they're telling you know, Jack Black, like, oh, we grew up on your films. I memorized your monologues when I was in theater class or in high school. Like there's, there's bits of that where for these people, it's the influence of the art and the film and watching those films and being inspired by it to become actors. Yeah. That sort of shines through as like the nice shiny moment and what they're really doing because, you know, these actors, it's all about ego and whether they're method or not and all of these things, accolades, getting an Oscar which in a weird way is weird that he even gets the Oscar at the end of the movie. It's kind of like taking back that. Um, but this idea that this is all to inspire others and that people watch it and get enjoyment out of it and that there is a group of people who authentically enjoy Simple Jack that like that movie, mm-hmm. even though it's universally panned and he's criticized for it. I thought that was an interesting thing to film, a direction that it goes in. And I don't know quite where it lands... I guess that's sort of like that's the mm. positive takeaway is even a film like Simple Jack still has an audience and people that like it. Yeah. It's interesting. It's it is interesting. I mean I think that the the situation the context in which the only reason they liked the film was because it was their only yeah. exposure to media. Right. It's an important sort of get out of an awkward situation card because <laughs> I think that yeah it's it's universally talked about even out of the confines of the film that when you're doing a, a depiction of any sort of illness or any sort of uh, special needs or any sort of uh, disability um, there needs to be not authenticity but consideration for authenticity I think right. um, we talked about a couple of years ago with the, the whole um untouchables remake with kevin hart and oh yeah and brian, and brian cranston. cranston who's not a paraplegic and then again neither was the guy in the original film no. i think i think i mean but even if he was i mean it, it comes back to authenticity can be a really good marketability um it can be good yeah for certain things but it is called acting and um but it also comes back to it's the consideration in which they very much make a systematic thing that his depiction of Simple Jack was degrading to the people he yeah. was trying to depict, that he was trying to look after. Well, the way he talks about it to Robert Downey Jr., where he's like, oh, well, I, I just spend a lot of time you know, with these people and I watch them. And he sort of makes those disparaging comments like, well, that's not enough, dude. I think... And it's funny because like this film explores all that. But then... Robert Downey Jr.'s speech is is just so spot on where you're right. It, it doesn't matter if it's performance or authentic or if they really have a disability or not. As long as it's good. If it's a good performance, people will forgive you. Yeah. And he says as much. People don't like I Am Sam, but they love Rain Man. People love Forrest Gump, but they don't like this fake film, Simple Jack. It That, that, that is it. That is, that is so spot on. Yeah. <laughs> that's, no, that's, exactly that's perfectly good. That might I'm just gonna say that's probably my highlight. Oh no, that's actually not my, my highlight scene. So it's, it is much. interesting. It's weird that he gets an Oscar at the end of it. 
Yeah, you know for, what? I for don't... a couple of reasons, because I know that the whole Steve Coogan does set the premise. There are hidden cameras all over this place. Right. Um, so that's sort of their little workaround of how they assemble a film. Um, however, them surviving a hostage situation, but I guess it comes back to it. It's the... Uh, the authenticity side that we right. just talked about that probably would have won them an Oscar. It's the took twelve years to shoot Boyhood. Uh, <laughs> Hollywood does eat up authenticity a yeah, lot, yeah, so yeah. maybe that might be uh, the joke or the, the commentary they're trying to make with. I guess, yeah. You know what? That's probably you're probably right because my issue. I actually have a different issue with the reason he wins an Oscar is because. Um, essentially it goes against what the film was saying is that it's more important that you have an impact on an audience or that you you reach out to people and inspire them than it is to get accolades for yourself. True, but, but, but then, yeah. I think you're right that it's it's just a commentary that despite that hopeful nugget of of like whatever the film's trying to tell me, it's underplayed by the, the whole Hollywood doesn't change. And you're right, Hollywood loves giving those kinds of films Oscars. Yeah, the films that are so experimental and and have so much backstory. It's not about who gave the best performance because those weren't performances anymore. It's a, it could be a fair fair assessment that although highly cinematic, the film that we watched is the film that everyone watched that he won the Oscar. That's true. Not to be too. I mean, it comes back to the Nick Nolte uh, intro where he's like, "This is the story about the men trying to make that movie." Yeah, yeah. Um. So the film we might see is what they're seeing. The character, the voters. Uh, albeit of the it's not quite like a District Nine where we're seeing CCTV footage, or, or like it's really not pushing the mockumentary to that level. Right. Definitely, the the story that unfolds is probably a very good chance that that's the story that we. It's not Tropic Thunder, the the film. Right. They were making at the start. It's the stuff that as soon as they land in the bush, that's what got made into the Oscar. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm trying to remember what the name of the movie was because there was like a really long subtitle for the uh, film in the that actually won the Oscar in this movie. I can't remember. It's not it's not on here the the full title because it has like a big subtitle. The biggest fake movie that blah 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 blah. Yeah. So it, it probably yeah. is that. Now much you really committed no, to it. Jake, would you like to move into your highlight scene? Sure. So, like I said, I I thought my highlight scene very briefly was going to be um, the speech you never go full R, but I actually do love the trailers at the beginning. And there's something, like you said, there's something about it almost tricking you by having the fake movie logos and the amount of legal gymnastics they probably had to go through to do that because that it is so... It is fascinating how hard it is for for a for a film to alter the logo of the company that is making their film so when you see 20th century fox and they do like a fun thing like ralph wiggum walks in from the zero or it's diary of a wimpy kid and it turns into like a a scrunched up yep. letter that is not easy to do to nah. convince the companies to let you do that to their logo even if it's their film it is fascinating how hard it is so to do this with a bunch of fake movies is really impressive it was really impressive <laughs> And it, and it fools you. Like we just does, tell yeah. the story I just talked about. I legitimately was kind of like, like I didn't. I and I think I was gifted with the fact that I. I think you actually benefit from watching this movie if you don't watch many movies. Um, right. Okay. Like yes. I really do, because 
if you don't know, it would have been really funny if they had done this with a cast of no names. Right. Like, and so you would be so, and I know that'd be such a gamble. Because then you've got like the impact yeah, on marketing then... and, and, and all that sort of stuff. Like, Yeah, there's a lot uh, you lose out with the no name. And a lot cast. of these actors, some of them were in Lulz, but people like Jack Black and Ben Stiller, they were definitely at, at quite big prominent peaks. I mean, I think Ben Stiller had done Night of the Museum at this point. Yeah. Um, he was. He was probably in one of his oh, he stronger five, six-year, yeah, five-year, five-six-year stretches. Um, so was Jack Black, um, and so I think it's really interesting because it it would it completely confused me as a as a younger person like these spoof trailers. I yeah. think it would it'd be a cool like pull the wool over your eyes for the first fifteen minutes, but um. I'd have to say... It still works on a comedy level, Oh, though. absolutely. No, it does. They're, yeah. they're great. They're great. Collection. Oh, here we go. Um, it's called Tropic Blunder, the true story behind the making of the most expensive fake true war story ever. That is the name of the movie that gets the Oscar. Nice. <laughs> it's so good. Well, my highlight scene would have to be... It'd probably be the real intro to Les Grossman... Um, the uh, okay, uh, Tom Cruise. <laughs> the first interaction McConaughey has with with um with with less in person. Oh, when um, he pulls out the phone. Yeah, 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 yeah. Because we really get to grasp and and Hater. Yeah, it's funny because he's such a funny person, Bill Hater. But it's actually how kind of softly spoken he is in this film yeah he's very point. sidelined <laughs> and i kind of like but it, he compliments it very yeah, much yeah and, i mean most of tom cruise's delivery is just so funny like it's psychotic but it's <laughs> goddamn entertaining he's got some great lines i hear he clearly had so much tom cruise is a weird sort of figure because i understand a lot of people don't like him he seems like a bit of a dick Oh, he, he's but, just, he, he seems like an, a legitimate psychopath. But <laughs> yeah, like in real life, and this oh, is, and there's the Scientology stuff as well. But and, um, but he seems kind of like he has a screw loose. Like even early days, him, and I said this to Mum. I was like, but it's kind of just like watching like a volcano. Like it's just like even early days, him. He's just a little bit off, right? And you're just like, I kind of can't resist him thing is, it's like Jerry Maguire. He's really good in the first half, but when it gets to the serious romantic stuff, you're like, I don't buy this. You're not romantic. <laughs> you complete me. No, you don't. Like, he just doesn't play sincere. Like, right. if you have to play a bit of a jerk, like, thankfully, the Mission Impossible films, they kind of keep his... They keep his performance as pretty minimal. He doesn't have to be that charismatic or not really. charming no, in films. Most of the other... He mostly just has to beat people up. Uh, that'll do that'll do it that'll do <laughs> no worries well Tropic Thunder is currently out on DVD uh, I don't think it's on any streaming platform. it's on Stan and Binge there you go so I watched it on Stan this morning yeah I can stand that um, <laughs> speaking of Stan and Binge Jake what's new to streaming platforms and cinemas this week a bit of a lighter week this week last week was insane from memory it um, was yeah Coming to Netflix this week is Blue Miracle, which sees a guardian and his kid's partner, uh, sorry, uh, sees, his, sees a gardener and his kids partner with a washed-up boat captain. It reminds me of Captain Haddock from Tintin. Mm. Uh, for a chance to win a fishing competition to save their cash-strapped 
orphanage. I should have added more grammar in there because the whole guardian and his kids knocked me out. Um, but yeah, that's coming to Netflix. Uh, coming to stand this week is the 2012 French historical film Augustine. Uh, coming to Disney Plus is Corella, which sees Emma Stone play the titular character from 101 Dalmatians in a live-action prequel origin story. It's also coming to Hoyts this week as well. What do you think of that? Uh, <laughs> I really, I was trying to formulate a critical opinion on whether I would want to see this, but I don't even think I can remember seeing 101 Dalmatians. So Interesting. Um, and I don't know if I will be motivated to watch that film to then watch the Cruella de Vil yeah. show where they try and justify how this woman who wanted to make kill dogs to get their fur as coats is a good guy. Yeah, um, yeah. No, I, I totally get that. And it's interesting because like, people are very fairly judging this alongside Joker, which seems like a very similar, oh, let's, let's take a deep dive at the anti-hero um, but I think I mean, it's, it's interesting because yeah, Joker kills people, but people much rather see their pets alive than other people. Yeah, like people I, have more attachment to the dogs. I don't mind that kind of consideration, but yeah, one of them just killed people. The other person was like a comic book, like it was a like a Disney villain. Like I don't know. Yeah, I just, a, a caricature Disney villain. Curious. Yes. Um, I just don't really know how they're going to frame the justification. Are they going to make the dogs like bad guys? Like, that's the thing. <laughs> the if dogs you, are evil they're, now. they're taking the Joker lens, basically they had to make the rest of the world literally horrible to the point where we even started to go, okay, this is a bit comical how stupidly yeah. neglectful everyone is. <laughs> like, like, oh, we're just going to beat up this guy on the train while singing a clown carnival song. I was thinking more like, or, or, yeah, but the hero of the story's father punched him in the face and said, don't ever touch my son again. Are they going to have the same thing here? Is Cruella going to get punched in the face by a massive Dalmatian? <laughs> it's, it's, I know they're trying, but you know the funny part with like, comparing it to Joker is Joker won a couple of Oscars, but Joker was a very divisive film. Like Yes. Like, some people really loved it. Some people hated it. Mm-hmm. And... The more time away from it, the less of a fan I am of that film. Oh, interesting. Um, I don't dislike it. There's yeah, definitely yeah. enough to like in it. I think the cinematography is like... Um, yeah. And his performance, you can't argue with his performance. And But I, if you told me, would I rather watch King of Comedy or Joker, I'd take King of Comedy. Right. I'd take Taxi Driver over Joker. And if they're going to do the Cruella is Taxi Driver and King of Comedy... With Dalmatians. With Dalmatians. (laughs) Makes jokes about dogs and people are like, how dare you? When I said I wanted to be a comedian, everyone laughed at me. Well, who's laughing now? (laughs) So, yeah, that's coming to Disney Plus this week. Uh, Coming to Binge is the Friends Reunions. That's on Thursday. I don't get this. You don't get it? There was so much hype around this, but... Have you seen what they all look like? They look a lot of them look very old. <laughs> very old. Yeah. And it's like what are, they going, to, re- what are they going to talk about? This is the thing. People they want to jump back in the world, but they don't really want to jump back in the world. Yeah. I it's like I would love thing. more episodes of Bojack. I do not want them to try and make more episodes of Bojack. Yeah. Or Breaking Bad. But that's the golden thing. If you're left wanting more from the show, the show has done its job. Yeah. If you're left with, oh, God, I could have gone without that last season, well, you shouldn't have asked 46 times for it. Like, the thing is, 
there's a difference between a show like uh, take Friends. Friends went for ten seasons, mm. and what are they going to talk about on this reunion special? How most of them didn't do much after this in terms of their career. They've been living off their royalties very comfortably. They worked very hard for ten years. Of course, they did. Um, but they're probably just living comfortable lives, mostly in recluse. Because all the good—I mean, the only one that's actively, constantly been working in Hollywood is probably Jennifer Aniston, maybe David Schwimmer and Courtney Cox, mm-hmm. kind of. But the rest of them, it's like Lisa Kudrow pops up every now and again, and but uh, she's Matthew, on, she's on the aforementioned BoJack. Yeah, yeah. Like, every now and again. Yeah, no, I get your point though. Um, I, I think it's tough because, like, even even that. I, I just said a second ago, like, oh, we know more episodes of Breaking Bad. It's like, yeah, look how many people complained about El Camino. And that was only, like, six years different. Oh, everyone looks old now. It's like, yeah, try 20. Yeah. <laughs> try 20 so I years. I don't know what this is, this reunion. Is it they're just going to sit around and chat about... It looks like it. That's from what I saw the trailer. It looks right. like they're just going to look at the reminisce on the sets. And it's like, it was, an, it was a hugely influential show. But it's like, in... 10 years, we're going to do a How I Met Your Mother reunion. Like, right. I don't want that. I hate that they're doing a How I Met Your Father show. Are they actually? Yeah, and Hilary Duff's the main character. Why? Why? Oh, well. That's weird. I didn't know that. Yeah, they announced it two or three weeks ago. Okay. Well, that's fair enough. So, uh, finally coming to cinemas, the aforementioned Quiet Place Part 2 and Cruella. So, they're both going to be in cinemas next week as well. So, wait, uh, is it the Disney Plus situation with Cruella? It's, it's a premiere... So you either pay thirty five bucks online, or you the cinema will be way cheaper to see it on the big Just screen. Just go to the cinema. Just go to the cinema. Uh, and lastly, my name is uh, Gapili, which is a documentary that follows the Australian legend who was the star of films like Charlie's Country, Rabbit Proof Fence, and both Storm Boys uh, after receiving a cancer diagnosis. And there was a Q and A screening at Luna on Wednesday, the twenty sixth. Groovy. So, yeah, that's what's coming out this week. No worries. Well, it's time to move into the 1990s, Jake, for our countdown through the decades retrospective. Mm. But what are we watching? I mean, who won the poll first? Yeah, so we had a poll, and um, it was pretty unanimous what the people wanted, Zeke. You know, yeah. Democracy at its finest. Now that I'm winning, I'm, I'm much more in favor of, uh, you know, the... the uh, the, the the what's it called the preferential ballot sure it's not a good idea guys it's, so who, who just would to be clear that? I won the last three weeks <laughs> um, this but got absolutely destroyed yeah so the vote was against Days and Confused which lost forty nine to four so a fairly decisive group of people voted in the last week and next week we are indeed watching the Green Mile you think if a man sincerely repents on what he done wrong. He might get to go back to the time that was happiest for him and live there forever. But that'd be what heaven's like. I just about believe that very thing. John Coffey, you have been condemned to die in the electric chair by a jury of your peers, sentence imposed by a judge in good standing in this state. Questions? Do you leave the light on after bedtime? I know violent men, I deal with them day in and day out. There doesn't seem to be any real violence in him. Until he kills a couple of little girls. John Coffey is a murderer. I don't think he did it at all. Take my hand, boy. You see for yourself. 
You're talking about a miracle. I do not see God putting a gift like that in the hands of a man who would kill a child. I dreamed of you. We found each other in the dark. Like he dropped out of the sky. Miracles are funny things. You never know when they're going to happen. And when they happen in a place like this, that's the most unbelievable miracle of all. This is the story of a miracle that happened here where I work, on the Green Mile. Paul, the head guard of a prison, meets inmate John, who's an African-American accused of murdering two little girls. His life, however, changes drastically when he discovers that John has a special gift. Um, this film is absolutely incredible. I've never seen this film. And I can't wait for you to see it. It's going to be good. It's going to be I've, very good. It's been on the hit list for like so long. And I just... I don't know what it is. I just never gotten around to watching it. Yeah. Um, I know it's got Tom Hanks in it. That's it. That's it. <laughs> I think I've seen a scene from it. Um, there so. wasn't there wasn't a, a sponge involved, was there in that scene? No, uh, he goes to a house. Okay. Um, oh, I know what you, I know what you're talking about. We saw this in class. Yes, that's the only scene. I've it seen. is the scene, and um, I won't spoil it too much for you because it's probably been long enough. You don't remember much. I about remember it. too much. I remember he's really, really big. Yeah, yeah, so John Coffey is involved in the scene. They go to a house and they perform an act upstairs in the middle of the night. That's all I'm yeah. going to say. If you've seen the film, you know what scene that is. Um, yeah. Th- yeah, this film is so... And I've I, heard he had to be on a me. trolley a lot. On a trolley. to try and make him look bigger than what he was. Oh, interesting. That was that was a fun little film trip. I mean, Michael Clark Duncan is... He's a big boy. Yeah, but they had to try and... Sometimes they had to try and make him look... Because they had to try and make him look enormous. Right. Right, um, he's he's a gem, and we he will be sorely missed. So uh, mm. this film was, ah, oh, I, I I can't even like we got to end the show because I'm just gonna start rambling me how incredible the film is, but no dramas. Well, <laughs> until then, thank you for joining us on the Cinema Sideshow Podcast. I was Z. I was Jake, and we'll catch you next week with the Green Mile. <laughs>